Today on Ag News Daily. But the Panhandle community is kind of is kind of gathering up together and, and helping them out. But they will never get back what is burned up in the fire. So it, it's pretty sad to see that happen. We're here on a bright and sunshiny Wednesday morning. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. Today's episode is brought to you by Magnetic Ag, the all things agriculture newsletter. How are you doing, Delaney? I'm good. I like that it's sunny today. We got a little nice weather yesterday. Things are starting to dry out again. So it's looking like I might need to mow my lawn, unfortunately. Yeah, there's been a, quite a few people. We had the bank mode yesterday. Uh, finally getting to work for those guys. I'm sure they've been itching to go all season. Yes, that's true. I wish I could find someone, Tanner, that would just like, why aren't there just some little high school kids that want to come mow lawns anymore? I don't see that anymore. There are. You probably just got to look harder. You're probably just I getting guess. older and you don't oh, know those man. high school kids. I know that's true. You're right. I don't. <laughs> you know what's getting old also? This was a terrible transition. Okay. We're going to run with it. Yep. Talking about bird flu, right? Yes, I agree. Can't they wrap this thing up? You're going to leave me hanging there. Uh, This one comes from China. China has the first known human case of the H3N8 strain of avian flu. This was found uh, in a young boy. He came into uh, the hospital with regular flu-like symptoms. Uh, However, it does not, they do not expect it to continue to spread amongst humans. There's nobody else in his home had received it. He did raise chickens at home for protein and eggs. And they believe it either came from those chickens or wild ducks. There is no news associated with this article as to whether or not they have euthanized their flock. But first case of human containing the H3N8 virus. I feel like I am not surprised that it started in China because I think the original avian influenza virus back in 2014, 15, whatever, started in China as well. So the article stated that the original avian flu was started in 2002 in the Midwest United States. Oh, really? Okay. I'm thinking of the, hmm, okay. Maybe I'm thinking of something else then. Well, it also could be a biased article wanting to pass it along. (laughs) Uh, But that was the first case of human carrying the virus that we, or the flu that we had seen. And essentially, if you just eat a chicken or eggs that have been from an infected bird, is that how you get it? Uh, I don't believe that's the case at all. I think um, it was just live transmission is mm. the way this article read. Okay, so it's a trans-species disease or virus that can cross between. Yeah, very unlikely is what they stated, um, but certainly has happened now. Okay. Well, Iowa got some big news yesterday, Tanner, of some new legislation that just happened to be the same day that we, you know, of course, listened to Bruce Rastetter and his new ethanol pipeline or carbon pipeline, I should say. But the Iowa House and Senate have passed the 2022 Biofuel Access Bill with overwhelming bipartisan support. Now it heads to the governor's desk. And essentially what this piece of legislation is, Tanner, is that by 2026, uh, fuel retailers will be required to offer gasoline with 
15% ethanol or E15. So essentially this is requiring a major overhaul of a lot of gas station infrastructure because a lot of them don't have pumps right now that can support E15 at the pump, which has always driven me crazy, you know, that you think like Casey's, which seems like it should be a very Midwestern brand, doesn't carry E15 or E85. And that's always driven me crazy. Yeah, it it is interesting to see how mandates get passed and who then is mandated or required to carry and sell the product. Um, it will be interesting to see how much infrastructure changes and what type of financial support these companies right. get in order to sell that product. And that's still kind of the wild card right now is what kind of financial incentives or grants or whatever will we see roll out now. But to be fair, they have four years to get infrastructure in place. So I think it's hopefully enough time for them to say, okay, we need to convert, you know, X number of stations a year to have this, or well, we see the opposite thing happen, Tanner, where they just go and fight this in the courts and don't put forth any effort to try and convert infrastructure. And instead we just see this thing, you know, continue to snowball. Right. Yeah. Another one of those articles for us to keep an eye on for our listeners uh, to see if we can watch this come to fruition. Uh, but as we talked on Monday, when we talk all of our commodities and markets on Mondays, uh, we were f- kind of focused on the vegetable oil or the oil side of things in relation to how that is driving soybean prices and what that's doing to wheat acres. And the wheat demand seems to be outweighing the oil demand according to the viewpoints of Canadian farmers. So Canada's acres report came out on Tuesday and pegged their 2022 canola plantings at 20.9 million acres, down 7% from last year and down 6% from the five-year average with those acres switching to wheat crops. So another hit, Delaney, for the oil market as uh, Canadian farmers are going to plant less canola. Yes, I saw that piece of news as well, Tanner. However, we did get a slight update to Indonesia's ban on cooking oils specifically because they announced yesterday that while they do plan on limiting exports completely of palm oil, they will allow 15% of palm oil exports now to pass through and export out of the country. So they've came back and said, we'll allow 15%. So that certainly has helped the markets relax a little bit on that front. Absolutely. And uh, just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Magnetic Ag. Are you looking for carefully curated and delightfully digestible ag news? Well, look no further. Magnetic Ag is a twice weekly newsletter that curates from over 40 sources to bring you a five-minute email read on all things agriculture. Join over 10,000 farmers and agricultural professionals today. Sign up for free at magnetic-ag.com. A real quick hit here, Delaney. We talked a little bit about uh, the call for more investigation around packers and the largest 77 feed yards in America. Tyson Foods Incorporated President and CEO Donnie King is set to testify today before a full house ag committee. Uh, to give perspective about cattle and beef market practices ahead of his testimony, he did state that, well, a large combination of market forces, including consistently strong demand for beef, 
constrained production due to labor shortages has caused this global pandemic and record inflation to be the driving current of where beef prices are today. So ahead of his testimony, you can kind of get a flavor for what the Tyson CEO is going to convey his message, or at least the tone of what his message will be sounding like they're blaming economic factors and not necessarily the controlling of the supply chain. Absolutely. And yesterday we saw those Senate Ag Committee hearings kick off, Tanner, that he will be speaking at today. One of them was regarding a really two different controversial proposals, one of which was the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act of 2022 and the Meat and Poultry Special Investigator Act of 2022, which essentially both of these are aimed at creating open and competitive and fair market practices. And we're hearing folks from all sides of this story uh, share their opinions, like you just mentioned there with the Tyson CEO. So we'll continue to see how that story continues to develop. Yeah. And he continued to state in this interview, uh, everything possible outside of corruption. I mean, he, he cited the cost of grains going up for corn, soybeans, wheat, and feed feed consumption. He talked about labor shortages for their plants, uh, certainly has done his economic research. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how well the SAG committee does on probing deeper uh, below the surface of just statistics that everybody already has the information for. Absolutely. Well, switching tracks here just a little bit, Tanner. I just saw this headline this morning put out by the World Bank, and they said that Ukraine, the Ukrainian war is going to impact commodity prices for, they're saying, three years. They said that the war is likely, or food and fuel prices shocked, linked to the Russian-Ukraine war, are likely to last until at least the end of 2024 and raise the risk of stagflation. The World Bank said that in their latest Commodity Market Outlook report and that the world faces the biggest commodity price shock since the 1970s, Tanner. Uh, They also said that they expect energy prices to rise more than 50% in 2022 before they think they will ease in 23 and 24. But on the non-energy side of things, prices including agricultural and metal commodities are seen to be climbing by almost 20% in 2022 before hopefully coming back down and calming down in 23 and 24. So a lot of different factors at play. There is. And that, that stagflation word like sent me back into trauma from school uh, (laughs) in economics class. So for listeners, stagflation is where high inflation meets high unemployment and slow actual economic growth. I think they call it real economic growth. So the world is really uncomfortable on three different faces. So it's inflation combined with a lack of labor force combined with the economy really isn't growing. Just prices appear to make the economy grow uh, due to that inflation. So if I remember correctly, I think we had, I think just in and around uh, the last recession, I want to say it was seventies. I think it happened twice. I should look this up here real fast. Uh, was the last time that this happened. Yes, it was. So it was 1974 to 75, we had stagflation and 78 to 82. And when you bring in uh, those terms for our agricultural listeners, they all know what followed those periods of time. So Mm -hmm. another one of those financial advice from a banker, which I can't give. 
I like that you can explain what this is, though. That really does help because I didn't know what that word meant. I'm going to be honest with you. No, that's fine. That is fine. Yeah, the the non-advice for me is to make sure your your home is in order uh, as these prices stay higher uh, and do the best that you can to protect yourself for whatever comes down the road. Hopefully nothing bad comes and we can all just continue to build wealth. Uh, But that would be my piece of non-advice is just to make sure your home is in order. Well, Delaney... The last piece of news that I have for today only worsens the potential grain exports coming from Ukraine. Sounds like reported overnight, Russia launched two missile strikes and damaged strategic bridges on Ukraine's Odessa region. State railway and local officials say that the event could affect Ukrainians' plans to expand exports through the Danube ports. So the bridge on the mainland of Ukraine, which connected part of Odessa to the mouth of the Danube has now been severely damaged. So not only Delaney, does this affect things now, but as we talked about rebuilding after the war uh, is going to further the complications of getting crops out of Ukraine. Yes, absolutely. And I had seen an article this morning, Tanner, that said land exports via rail on the Western side of Ukraine were starting to pick up, but still significantly lower than where they need to be for this time of year. Yeah, that's, that is just too bad. But before we get into the markets, reminding our listeners, if you're looking for carefully curated and delightfully digestible ag news, like we deliver here on A&D, look no further. Magnetic Ag is a twice weekly newsletter that curates from over 40 sources to bring you a five minute email read on all things agriculture. Join over 10,000 farmers and agricultural professionals today by signing up for free at magnetic-ag.com. Well, Tanner, as we take a look at the overnight markets here, we're seeing some mixed trade in the grain markets as wheat is trending mostly lower. Corn and soybeans are, corn is pretty much staying at neutral right now. So it'll be interesting to see how that The bulls or the bears win the market today, but soybeans are definitely higher on the board, about 14 to 13, 17 cents higher across old and new crop. And livestock are seeing some mixed trade this morning as live cattle is trading higher in the overnight. Feeder cattle and lean hogs are trading lower. So it's going to be interesting here. We're going to definitely be continuing to watch weather forecasts. That's pretty much, you know, aside from any sort of big Russia, Ukraine news, weather is going to be, especially what the grain markets are going to be watching here moving forward. So yes, that again, markets are going to be something to pay attention to. Not that we don't every day, Delaney, but any other news for today? Well, you know, as we get into today's interview, we're talking a lot about weather, Tanner, with actually Cassidy's dad, of all people, who is a cowboy in Stratford, Texas. And it's interesting. I was just reading this on Monday night, Tanner, because as we continue to watch wildfires and those spread, Kansas and now Nebraska have seen over 40,000 acres of ranches, grazing ground, regular ground, etc., burned up by some of these wildfires going on. So we wanted to get kind of a firsthand take on how bad is it down there in Texas, in the panhandle, and what can those folks expect moving forward? So let's kick it over without further ado to Chase Sini. Well, folks, for this morning's conversation, we're actually chatting with Cassidy's dad, Chase Sini, who's the assistant manager at Reader Feeder Company in Stratford, Texas. Chase, good morning. I have to be honest with you. I had to look up where Stratford, Texas was on the map. 
Oh, yeah. This is the Texas tundra right here. So yes. It's uh, cold cold and windy most of the time. So. And that's what we want to talk about because we've been hearing all of these different reports about dry weather down in Texas. You're up there uh, straight north of Amarillo, it looks like on the map, uh, pretty close to the Oklahoma border. And before we talk a little bit more about weather, Chase, tell us about your background as Cassie call- Cassidy called you a cowboy. Uh, yes, ma'am. I'm third generation uh, cowboy. My granddad, a cowboy all his life, and then my dad kind of took after him and and uh, wound up managing several big ranches in the in the far west Texas region down in the Big Bend area, and uh, that's where I was raised was down there, and uh, uh, so I kind of took after dad, and uh, I my dad never went to college. But uh, I wound up going to the TCU Ranch Management Program in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, kind of got the piece of paper that that said I'm a real cowboy. So uh, it and it opened up a lot of doors for me, and uh, and I've been to several places since then. Kind of kind of just figuring out how different people do it, and uh, and learning and and uh, honing my skills, and uh, and so here we are. Awesome. So the operation that you are an assistant manager for right now, what does that look like? Well, it's a very big stalker operation is what it, what it is. And, uh, we, we keep about, uh, oh, about 15,000 head of, uh, stalker cattle on feed. Uh, we have a small growing yard here and, uh, we keep about, about 10,000 in the yard and about, oh, about, two to 5,000, depending on the, the drought conditions and stuff outside the yard on, on either irrigated wheat or, or grass during the summer. And, uh, we'll, we'll get them in about at about 500 pounds, so to speak. And then we'll, we'll get them up to about 850 and then we'll sell them to the surrounding feed yards to go ahead and finish. Okay. Wow. That's a lot of, a lot of cattle on feed and, I wanted to pick up on something. Obviously, we wanted to talk to you about the weather that's been going on down there because we've been seeing some really uh, scary pictures, I guess, to say the least, of photos coming from different parts of Texas and the panhandle of all of these different weather events that have been happening down there. How has that been going? Do you have available grass for grazing cattle? Is that something that you guys are actively watching? At our operation, we have uh, quite a bit of old grass that, you know, we had some good rain last summer and stuff. And we were, you know, we pulled off, we pulled off the summer grass about mid-October and we got a little bit of rain after that. So it was able to grow some grass. But the problem with that is if we get any kind of lightning strike or anything, uh, wildfires go crazy. And uh, that's what a lot of people have been having problems with this year is a lot of the old grass that they, they pulled off of in, in, you know, the first of fall, you know, they, they were trying to save what they had to have some to go back on. And uh, there's been several thousand acres of grass burn up around us. And we've been relatively unscathed. We did have a, a small fire the other day, burned about 700 acres. And, uh, and we've been, we've been real lucky. There's been several fires that have burned up hundreds of thousands of acres here in the last three or four months. 
Yeah, you said a small fire up here in Iowa where we're recording. Some producers only farm 700 acres, so that uh, right. I'm glad you put yes, it. In, <laughs> I'm glad you put it into perspective uh, compared yes. to the size of some of these other fires because we've reported on those and and kind of watched <clears throat> and watched what the weather's been doing. So, how do you feel the rest of the summer is going to shake out if it stays dry? What will what will your operation have to do that it doesn't usually do? Well, if it, if it stays dry and, and we don't get any rain between now and, and June, it's going to be tough to turn out on grass. Um, we've got, you know, we've got several thousand acres of grass that we turn our cattle out on because by then the wheat is done. So we're going to have to have some place to go with them. And if it doesn't rain, we won't have any place to go with them. So it'll just be feeding them all in this grow yard here. And so that, that will, uh, cut down tremendously on our profitability and uh you know the thing about drought is it it just drought just breeds more drought and when you're in a drought it's very very hard to get out of that rut especially right here in this country and uh you know when the soil dries out and uh there ain't no moisture in the soil it just makes temperatures go up and then it seems like the wind just keeps blowing and you're not going to get a rain till the wind quits blowing but it's not going to rain till the wind quits blowing. So, I mean, you're kind of stuck in that same old rut. And uh, we usually get our rainy season from July through, through September. And with the monsoon season coming up through the Baja Mexico, and uh, it's going to take, you know, a big, maybe a couple big hurricanes right there in the Baja to come up through us to, to break this drought. And well, that's what we're hoping will happen. But the long range forecast is not looking very promising. Yeah, it's interesting as you look at the United States right now, it's like you could draw a line down the middle of the U.S. and the eastern portion of that is getting a lot of rain where we are in Iowa. You know, we've been really delayed on getting into the fields to get planted, but where you're at, obviously, you're having the opposite problem. I wish we could send some of our rain to you guys down there, but Chase, how does this year compare to other years? Because you've been in the business for quite some time. Is this normal? Have you seen years that are this dry heading into peak season? You know, we're always a pretty droughty country. You know, we're always waiting on a rain, it seems like. But it seems like one of these droughts hits us about every 10 years. And the wind just keeps blowing and we just can't get her. You know, it'll cloud up and right on top of us. And then it'll move all east and, and dump all the, on them, you know. And it just seems like we get stuck in that rut. About every 10 years, we'll have a two-year span where where we get very, very little rain and a whole lot of wind. And uh, like I said before, it's hard to get out of that rut. And so, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, you can pretty much plan on it about every 10 years having a, having a dry spell like this. And I'm hoping it doesn't last two years like the last one did. So we're fortunate up here in corn and soybean country that our our producers, our listeners can purchase crop insurance. So on a drought year, as long as they have their crop insurance paid and the right policy in place, have a little bit of a safety net. Is there a product, is there an insurance that you guys can utilize uh, along the same lines? You know, we do farm, we do raise our own silage and stuff, and I'm not really up on that, that end. I would suppose that there's some crop insurance that, that uh, the, the general manager could buy on that. Um, you know, we, we plant, we're probably going to plant sorghum this year just because it, it handles the drought 
a little better than than uh, than corn silage does. And so I would imagine that we we would have some insurance like that. It's all irrigated too, and that's another thing. The more water you got to use in these droughts, that kind of cuts down on, you know, y- you got so much water that you can use. So, I mean, it it it's pretty tight squeeze there when you go to trying to raise your own feed and stuff. Certainly, and I know that there's little to no protection on the cattle side of things. So it's good, it's oh, good that there can yeah, be. A- be a little bit of help on the feed stuffs, but that again, uh, that little bit of insurance offset isn't going to help if you've got to truck it from outside of the territory to get in there. Exactly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's right. We are really set up pretty good. I mean, we're right in the middle of feed yard country. And uh, as far as stalker operations go, you know, there's, there's probably 15 feed yards around us within a 50 mile 50 mile radius that we are able to sell to and we've got a really good reputation so we got that going for us and we don't really have any trouble selling our our stalker calves to them because they know how we feed them and and we do really well with them but there's a lot of there's a lot of operations like us that don't have that don't have that uh convenience of having of having several feed yards that they can sell to right around you know within a 50 mile radius as we do so it's really set up pretty good to kind of help with the drought, you know, and drought situations. And uh, so I feel like we're, we're more fortunate than a lot of guys are. Absolutely. Well, we certainly appreciate you sharing your perspective with us this morning. Certainly interesting to hear about what it's like to raise and feed cattle down in Texas and certainly praying for you guys to get some rain here soon. Yes, ma'am. That would be great. Uh, we could use all the prayers we we can handle. And, uh, you know, another thing is pray for these, these folks that are, their whole ranches have burned up mm-hmm. and they've lost, they've lost several head of cattle and, and some of them have even lost their ranch headquarters that have been in their, their family for years and years. And it's, it's terrible, but the Panhandle community is kind of, is kind of, gathering up together and, and helping them out, but they will never get back what is burned up in the fire. So it, it's pretty sad to see that happen. Yeah. Generations have, have built some of these ranches and there's certainly a lot of legacies that are being lost. So we certainly will keep those people in our thoughts as well. But Chase, once again, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Thank y'all. Well, that was a lot of fun, Delaney, uh, for us. It's not fun for them being down there faced with the drought conditions, but uh, always nice to connect with somebody on the front lines, in air quotes, as you would expect, to let us know what it's like being in the middle of it. Absolutely. We certainly appreciate Chase. And I think we're going to have more conversations about this because this is an issue that is impacting a large portion of our ranchers, Tanner. Yes, it is. And uh, I look forward to learning more about it and sharing perspective with our listeners. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.